chapter 1. Last week we began our studies through the Gospel of Luke. We're going chapter by chapter and verse by verse. We gave you an introduction, verses 1 through 4. We're going to this morning look at John's birth announced to Zacharias by the angel Gabriel from verses 5 through 25. The Gospel of Luke, chapter 1, verses 5 through 25. All right, please follow along as I read the text. There was in the days of Herod, the king of Judea, a certain priest named Zacharias of the division of Abijah. His wife was of the daughters of Aaron, and her name was Elizabeth. And they were both righteous before God, walking in all the commandments and ordinances of the Lord blameless. But they had no child because Elizabeth was barren, and they were both well advanced in years." So it was that while he was serving as priest before God in the order of his division, according to the custom of the priesthood, his lot fell to burn incense when he went into the temple of the Lord. And the whole multitude of the people was praying outside at the hour of incense. Then an angel of the Lord appeared to him standing on the right side of the altar of incense. And when Zacharias saw him, he was troubled and fear fell upon him. But the angel said to him, Do not be afraid, Zacharias, for your prayer is heard, and your wife Elizabeth will bear you a son, and you will call his name John. And you will have joy and gladness, and many will rejoice at his birth. For he will be great in the sight of the Lord, and shall drink neither wine nor strong drink. He will also be filled with the Holy Spirit, even from his mother's womb. And he will turn many of the children of Israel to the Lord their God. He will also go before him in the spirit and power of Elijah to turn the hearts of the fathers to the children and the disobedient to the wisdom of the just to make ready a people prepared for the Lord. And Zechariah said to the angel, how shall I know this? For I am an old man and my wife is well advanced in years. And the angel answered and said to him, I am Gabriel, who stands in the presence of God, and was sent to speak to you and bring you these glad tidings. But behold, you will be mute and not able to speak until the day these things take place, because you did not believe my words, which will be fulfilled in their own time. And the people waited for Zacharias, and they marveled that he lingered so long in the temple. But when he came out, he could not speak to them. And they perceived that he had seen a vision in the temple, for he beckoned to them and remained speechless." So it was, as soon as the days of his service were completed, that he departed to his own house. Now after those days, his wife Elizabeth conceived, and she hid herself five months, saying, Thus the Lord has dealt with me in the days when he looked on me to take away my reproach among people. Let's pray together. Father, we want to learn every lesson from the life of Zechariah and Elizabeth that you have for us this morning. We also want to lay a groundwork in our hearts, Lord, for future lessons that you can bring because your word, it's alive and it's powerful and we can never, Lord, exhaust it in any one or 1,000 sittings. Give us ears that are attentive, hearts that are obedient as we work through these verses. We pray these things in Jesus' name and everyone said, amen. The Bible moves from Malachi to Matthew with the turn of a page. It's a page turn that spans centuries. From the time Malachi spoke forth the word of God until the announcement of the birth of Jesus was about 400 years. They are often called the silent years because God was not speaking to his people through his prophets. 
They were silent years, but not stagnant years. God was busy behind the scenes of human history, preparing for the coming of Jesus into the world. There's a verse in the Bible, it's Galatians chapter 4, verse 4, that says this, when the time had fully come, God sent forth His Son, born of a woman. In other words, the time of the Lord's birth was God's perfectly appointed moment, the moment He had been long preparing. It's the moment in Luke's gospel when the angel Gabriel breaks the silence and speaks to Zacharias about the coming of Jesus. Now it's the 21st century. We have the Word of God, Malachi and Matthew, Old Testament and New, from Genesis through the Revelation. God speaks through it, but still it can seem as though He is silent on a personal level. If He seems silent, He is never stagnant. He is busy behind the scenes of your life, preparing things, getting things lined up so that you can, in some way, experience more of Jesus. There's a principle here in the life of Zacharias that we want to consider. When God spoke to him, he was busy serving. God speaks to you when you are busy serving him. God not only speaks to you when you are busy serving him, you speak for him through your serving. Zacharias was left temporarily speechless, but that didn't mean he didn't have anything to say. From the time he emerged mute from the tabernacle until he regained his speech, the events of that day preached a powerful, silent sermon to the nation of Israel. So too with you. Get busy or stay busy serving God, and your life will speak to others about God as they look on it. We'll organize our thoughts around two points. Number one, get or stay busy serving God and He will speak to you. And number two, get or stay busy serving God and you will speak for Him. First of all, in verses 5 through 17, let's look at how we can get or stay busy serving God and have Him speak to us. There had been no prophetic word to Israel for some 400 years. Yet the Gospel of Luke opens with a scene of the nation busily serving God in his tabernacle. There had been no personal word to Zacharias and Elizabeth. Long had they prayed for a child, but it seemed God was silent. Now it was past the time that they could expect an answer to that prayer. It was a social disgrace that could have embittered them against God. Yet the gospel of Luke opens with a scene of personal service to God in his tabernacle. And so though the nation had no outward reason to celebrate, and though this couple could have been bitter and resentful, all of them were busy serving God. The daily discipline of living a quiet but obedient life before the Lord is something of great value in the eyes of God. Now, whether we're conservative or charismatic, we're often wanting something special to happen, some special moment with God. Uh, and, And they do happen from time to time in our lives, with some of us more than others, it seems. Something out of the ordinary, something fantastic. But that has a tendency in all of our lives to put a kind of a dull edge on just the daily living of a life for God. 
And it's easy because we're, uh, you know, we're frail creatures to think my life is really not amounting to anything. I go to church, I, I come home, I go to Wednesday night study, I come home, I do this, I do that. It's day in and day out, uh, nothing ever really seems to change. And it's easy for an apathy to creep in, for you to get up one morning and think, uh, you know, I'm three minutes late now. I don't think I can get ready on time. I'll catch it on the radio, or I'll have a transcript emailed to me or something like that. And because there's a, there's a disappointment sometimes that builds in your life that, well, nothing's really happening. Uh, and yet here, nothing happened for these people for 400 years, really, in that sense of God speaking to them. Zechariah and Elizabeth past the age of bearing children, and yet every day going about their business, serving the Lord, good thing, because something fantastic was about to happen. With a great sense of drama and a perfect sense of timing, God spoke to both the nation and His priest at the same time, answering the prayers of both. Now, in the opening verses, we get a glimpse at what it means to be busy serving God. Verse 5 again says, There was in the days of Herod, the king of Judea, a certain priest named Zacharias of the division of Abijah. His wife was of the daughters of Aaron, and her name was Elizabeth. Herod was the king outwardly, but he was not the rightful king of Israel. The Jews were under Roman domination. And again, I would emphasize, where was God to fulfill his promises of a king and a kingdom that would rule forever? 400 years seemed like a very long time. Zechariah served as a priest. He was of the division of Abijah. There were in those days about 18 or 20,000 priests. They were divided into groups. Here they're called divisions. Elsewhere in your Bible, they're called courses. We would call them groups or teams. That's the, that's the 21st century word, teams. We have usher teams and crews and you know, stuff like that. And so they're divisions. And they served on a rotation. All of the divisions, meaning all of the priests, were present at the temple during Israel's three great annual feasts. Jerusalem would be swelled with pilgrims, million of people or more, and so all the priests were on duty. Then each division, like the division of Abijah, served two other times during the calendar year for one week at a time. So Zacharias would have five weeks of work every year as a priest. Uh, not as good as my job, you know, but not, not bad. Elizabeth was the daughter of a priest. It was an honor for her husband, a priest married to the daughter of a priest. Not only all of that, but in verse 6 you read, they were both righteous before God, walking in all the commandments and ordinances of the Lord, blameless. This is shorthand to say that they were both sincere believers who were busy serving God faithfully, living a moral life according to God's will. Man, are they blessed or what? Well, verse 7 says they had no child because Elizabeth was barren and they were both well advanced in years. To be childless was a reproach. It was seen as a judgment from God. And so wherever you went as a Jewish woman, you know, if you didn't start having children right away, people would whisper behind you and you knew what they were whispering. 
because the Jews, uh, you know, in the Old Testament, it was more of a, you know, if you obey God, he blesses you. If you disobey God, he doesn't bless you. And children were seen as a blessing. Today, we live in a time where our blessings are spiritual, and so we don't look at the outward, uh, whether a person is rich or poor or somewhere in between. That doesn't indicate anything about God's blessing in their life. All the true blessings are spiritual blessings, the Bible says, in heavenly places. But in the Jewish economy, this was a tremendous reproach and, and a cause of, uh, of scorn. It was seen as a judgment from God that there was something wrong. Well, we've just read that everything was right, but it seemed like something was wrong. And so we're meeting this couple at a time in their lives when it was unreasonable to expect a pregnancy. They had married well. They had a good career. They were believers serving God faithfully, and they had a severe lifelong trial. In their case, it was a social trial and an emotional trial. Their response was to go on trusting God to stay busy serving Him. Tremendous lesson for us. Many of you either have or will have some severe, perhaps lifetime trial. Uh, You know, I've seen it in our own family. I've seen it in multiple families over the years in ministry where everything's going along fine, and all of a sudden you make the mistake of visiting the doctor. I, I say that facetiously. And in a moment, your life has changed for the rest of your time on earth. You find that you have some debilitating illness, some congenital problem, something like that. And, and it's devastating, devastating to you personally and to everyone around you. And there's a tendency that people have to blame God or to be angry with God. And, and maybe there's some stages that people go through, and, and that's all right. But the bottom line is this. These people had a trial, and they went on serving God. They got up every morning, and they confronted their trial, and they prayed about it, and they sought the Lord, and then they went on living a disciplined, obedient life. And and whether God had blessed them with a child or not, they would have had a blessed life because the blessings come from the obedience, not from the outward. And, And so... Uh, if you're involved in a trial or when you get involved in this kind of a trial, remember Zacharias and Elizabeth. It's not an unusual thing for Christians to suffer. It's the normal thing. It's the natural thing in a supernatural way. Now, one very special day of serving came along that was different from any other day Zacharias had ever experienced. Verse 8, so it was while he was serving as priest before God in the order of his division, according to the custom of the priesthood, his lot fell to burn incense when he went into the temple of the Lord. And the whole multitude of the people was praying outside at the hour of incense. Not only were there a lot of priests, there were more priests on duty each day in each group than there were duties to perform. And so they would cast lots to choose which of them would perform each function. I don't know what the lots were. Some suggest they were dice that were rolled, uh, you know, and, and they would have numbers or whatever. But at some, somehow they chose which priests were going to serve that particular day during the week and which weren't. And so they cast their lots to choose. 
To burn incense in the temple of the Lord meant going into the holy place. Now, if you're familiar at all with the Jewish temple, there was an outer courtyard, and, and the real heart of the temple was the tabernacle. It was two chambers, two enclosed chambers. You'd go through a curtain into a chamber called the holy place. That's where you would burn the incense. Then there was the curtain or the veil separating you from the presence of God in the holy of holies where the high priest only could go once a year on the Day of Atonement. And so to go into the holy place was a tremendous honor because you were that close to the presence of God as He dwelt among His people. It was not just a great honor. It was a -a once-in-a-lifetime honor. Many priests never drew the lot to burn incense. It was all random. And you could serve your entire career as a priest and never draw that lot. If you did, you would never offer it again in your lifetime. It was a a once-in-a-lifetime moment that didn't come in everyone's lifetime. What a tremendous, momentous opportunity this was for Zacharias. Elizabeth would be so proud of him. Think of what they both would have missed if they had let bitterness and self-pity at being childless overrule their serving God. Let me just say this now before I forget. You don't know when God is going to speak to you in a special way. I mean, He speaks to you all the time as you read His Word and as you're seeking His will. There's the still small voice and whisper of His Spirit, don't get me wrong. But there are moments in your life Moments when you need special direction, or God knows that you need special direction, and God will minister to you in a powerful way. I hope some of you have experienced those. And you just need to be where God wants to speak to you. One of the most powerful moments in my life came at a pastor's conference one time when we were seeking the Lord and some direction in our life, and God used that speaker at that moment to share something that was absolutely life-changing for me. Does he, I've been to countless pastor's conferences where that has never happened, but I was glad to be at that one. And so you just never know. God kind of keeps you guessing, uh, and, and it's a good thing. Uh, it's a very good thing. And so this great opportunity, Zechariah had no idea just how life-changing this moment really would be. Verse 11, an angel of the Lord appeared to him, standing on the right side of the altar of incense. And when Zechariah saw him, he was troubled, and fear fell upon him. I think he was shaken, to tell you the truth. I just soon not see an angel in my lifetime just between you and I. You know, people are fascinated with angels and and they study angels and stuff like that. They're a little bit finicky and testy, as we'll see, and I'd just as soon not see one. (laughs) Zechariah's got more than he bargained for. What seemed like the culmination of his career, the crown of his service on earth, it really began a whole new chapter of serving God. I mean, I can't think for Zacharias, but I'm, if it's me and I'm walking into the holy place with, you know, with the coals to offer the incense, I'm thinking, this is it. I have arrived. My career has peaked. I can always be seen. I, maybe they, I think they had so on patches, you know. I burned incense or something. Or maybe on the back, 
uh, hey, who knows? You know, they're normal people. You know, his wife was probably going to embroider something on his tunic or whatever, you know, and stuff. And, and, and well, we commemorate, don't we commemorate things in churches? Aren't there plaques usually everywhere for different things? I mean, I'm sure that this was a fantastic moment for him, the culmination. But little did he know, even in his advanced age, it was just the beginning of his serving God. Now, in our lives, in our secular careers, admit it, we work to retire. We want to get to the culmination, to the crown, and then rest. Well, we need to adjust our thinking when it comes to serving God. It might be all right for you to be counting the days or weeks to your retirement. No doubt about that. But the culmination and crown of our spiritual service never come in this life. They only come when we go to be with Jesus. Now, you may have to retire. I'll probably get forced out of the pulpit at some point, driven out by some younger individual who can still articulate without drooling. <laughs> and that day is pretty, pretty soon, believe me. First service, I was, I'm going to get to, I'll probably do it again, but it talks about him lingering in the tabernacle, and I said lingled and stuff, and some nurses came up, tried to take my blood pressure. But anyway... Gene could be stroking out at any moment. You never know. But uh, there's really no retirement from the Christian life or from your serving God. And we need to understand that there's, you know, there, there's, we're not heading towards anything in this life, which is a culmination. Now, we might look back on our service and think, man, that was, that was great and that was a wonderful thing, you know, from an earthly perspective. But we are living for a meeting with Jesus Christ when He will give His assessment of our entire service on earth. It was while Zacharias was busy that God spoke to him. Now, I want to add that Elizabeth was busy as well. I don't want to leave her out of this because she's a great gal. She was what we would call a PK, a priest's kid. Today, we call them pastor's kids. And they, have, they, they exist in a special world of their own, uh, and most of them are bad. Uh, they're, they're, you know, if you're, if you're a PK, if you're the minister's kid, uh, everybody expects you to be bad. And, uh, and, and a lot of them are, unfortunately. And I'll tell you why they are. Uh, because they grow up in the minister's house, in the priest or pastor's house. They hear the phone calls. They see the results of the board meetings. Uh, and quite honestly, and I can say this freely because we, we have a great situation here, so I'm not talking about our church, but I know a lot of people like this, and quite honestly, they see the way that their parents were treated by Christians, and by the time they get old enough to serve the Lord, they are tired of being around Christians because they see some things that, that they, can't, yeah, they can't quite jive in their way of thinking. Or, and I have to be honest, sometimes their dad is not the man that he ought to be. He's off serving others all the time, and he's never spending any time with his own family. He can always help someone else's family through a crisis, but he's only causing crises in his own family. And so there's a disillusionment and a disenchantment that takes place many times with pastor's children or with priests' children, and, and it's a sad phenomenon. It doesn't have to be that way. Now, let's look at Elizabeth. She had not rebelled against God. She married a priest. Her dad was a priest, 
And she enjoyed that so much and had such a love for the ministry that she married a priest. And even though she was barren and reproached by all the other women, she still supported her husband in his work. And so this is a tremendous couple. Elizabeth and Zechariah are fantastic examples to us. And the example is, get busy serving God and stay busy doing it. Warren Wiersbe illustrated it by saying, and I quote, it is difficult to steer a car when the engine is not running. When we get busy, God starts to direct us. You ever done that recently? Did you get in your car? My car, you know, the, I used to have the old Mustang, the 65 Mustang, and I could always tell when it was running. You know, because it was, you know, and stuff. And uh, my car, my, my newer car, I don't, I can't, I have to rev it up, you know, because it's so quiet. But when I get in there, if I don't start the engine, the steering wheel is locked. Uh, I, I long for the day. Remember when you could push your car, you know, and, and you know, put it in gear? And so, you got to have keys and sentry locks, and you got to call Chevrolet before you can even move your car anymore, you know, and OnStar, can I help you? Yeah, I'd like to get in, uh, you know, and move my car. Well, you know, read the manual. But, uh, so, but if you, you can't steer, you can't move those wheels until the motor is engaged, and then every, the whole system begins to operate, and you can find direction. Now, a lot of times people are busy, Lord, where, you know, I want to know where I'm going in serving you. And God's saying, well, where are you? Where are you right now? What are you doing now? Why don't you just serve where you are in the capacity that you find yourself? You know, God's not as interested in telling you where you're going as to getting you there. And, and, and if you knew where you were going, you wouldn't go most of the time. If God came to Abraham and said, Abraham, here you are, uh, you know, uh, in the Ur of the Chaldees among idol worshipers. I've got great news for you. I'm going to give you a son, and you're going to sacrifice him on Mount Moriah. Hey, I like it here in Ur of the Chaldees. What are you talking about? What, a human sacrifice? You're nuts. But little by little, precept by precept, line upon line, God led Abraham along. He didn't even know where he was going, but he led him along until one morning he said, Abraham, I want you to get up and sacrifice your only son. And Abraham said, Lord, I'm right with you, step for step for step, because if I kill my son, I know you, you're going to raise him from the dead. And so whatever you have in mind, that's my heart. And, and so it, it doesn't matter where you're going. God knows where you're going and be content. You need to get busy serving right now, not think about where you're serving in the future. I, I can name dozens of guys that I know who are going to go into the ministry one day. They're always, every time I see them, they say, yeah, I'm getting ready to go into the ministry. Well, that was like 15 years ago they were saying that. And in the meantime, they don't even go to church on a regular basis and support a ministry. And so we fool ourselves, serve where you're at. And get busy, and God will begin to direct. Now, the angel Gabriel gave this blessed married couple their new sphere of service, verse 13. The angel said to him, Don't be afraid, Zacharias, for your prayer is heard, and your wife Elizabeth will bear you a son, and you shall call his name John, and you will have joy and gladness, and many will rejoice at his birth. Commentators like to point out that the word for prayer is in a verb tense that indicates his immediate prayer in the tabernacle, the prayer he was offering as he burned incense. 
In other words, he didn't take advantage of the moment to pray for himself and his wife and their desire to have a child. It's a great insight into his servant's heart that he considered his ministry and took it seriously and prayed for others, prayed for the nation as he was directed. Why then does Gabriel promise them a son? Well, because the birth of John would answer both the prayer he prayed that day and his long life of praying. It would answer the prayer that Zacharias undoubtedly prayed at the altar of incense, the prayer that was always on the lips of the Jew for the coming of the Messiah. And so when he prayed before God, he didn't go in there and say, hey, God, are you back there behind the veil? I want a baby. He went in and he said, Lord, come, send the Messiah Send the Savior. As all the people were praying and the incense is rising, he forgot himself and his own needs. What a beautiful picture of prayer. And so when he prayed, Gabriel said, hey, good news. That prayer is being answered, and it's being answered by us answering your prayer as well because you're going to have a son who's going to announce the coming is here. In verse 15, he will be great in the sight of the Lord and shall drink neither wine nor strong drink. He will also be filled with the Holy Spirit even from his mother's womb, and he will turn many of the children of Israel to the Lord their God. Luke's gospel emphasizes the ministry and influence of the Holy Spirit. John would forego ever taking a drink of anything that might influence him because he would be entirely influenced by the filling of the Holy Spirit from the time of his mother's womb. The Holy Spirit is the power and the influence by which we want to be known and by which we want to serve God. Uh, And so I don't want to launch into my usual diatribe about alcohol. I did that Wednesday night. And uh, all I can say is that Christians have a way different feeling about alcohol than they did even 100 years ago. I read a piece from J.A. Seiss from the late 1800s, the most beautiful, eloquent language you'll ever read about the horrors of alcohol. And here's what's happened. Because of the horrors of drugs... Uh, and, and, you know, the drug trade and, and illicit drugs and illegal drugs, we don't even bother much with alcohol anymore, and it's crept into Christianity as something that is normal, uh, you know, and it, it, we just need to be careful. I don't want to be under the influence of anything but God and of His Holy Spirit at any time in my life, and so uh, just be careful in your use of alcohol. Verse 17, he will also go before him in the spirit and power of Elijah to turn the hearts of the fathers to the children and the disobedient to the wisdom of the just to make ready a people prepared for the Lord. The mention of Elijah and the quote are both from Malachi. Remember that the last word God spoke until now, uh, this was the, the last word that God had spoken until this point was from Malachi. From God's perspective, he had never stopped speaking. What was 400 years to us was just the next breath for God. He mentioned some things in Malachi, and then 400 years later, he picked up on them again. So we just have to have a different way of understanding time when it comes to relating to God. Now, I want to suggest something really amazing. Gabriel had last appeared to Daniel 500 years prior. There's a parallel between his appearance to Daniel and his appearance to Zacharias. Gabriel appeared to Daniel at the time of the evening sacrifice. Now he appeared to Zacharias at the time of 
either the morning or the evening sacrifice, and we would guess that it's the evening sacrifice. Daniel described himself as being fearful, so was Zechariah afraid. Daniel was temporarily rendered speechless, not in the same way or for the same reason, but the encounter left him, he said, and I quote, dumb. Daniel's visit dealt with the coming of the Messiah. Zechariah's visit was the announcement that the Messiah was coming. Now, here is something. Daniel was given the prophecy of the 70 weeks of years that describe all of prophetic history. Don't have time to go into them right now, but he, Gabriel gave him the, the map, really, the framework of prophetic history, and he said it would involve 70 weeks of seven years each or 490 years. You can see these 70 weeks in the chronology of Jesus Christ's infancy. First of all, there are six months, 180 days, between the announcement of John's and Jesus' coming births. Then Mary's pregnancy took nine months, 270 days. And then there were 40 days from Jesus' birth to His pre- presentation in the temple. 180 plus 270 plus 40 just happens to equal 490 or 70 weeks. Coincidence? Hardly. The last time Gabriel had anything to say, he spoke about the 490 years, and now he was talking about a period of 490 days that would be taking place. I just say that to show you that every jot and tittle in the Scripture, it's there for a reason. We just don't always and fully understand it. Zechariah and Elizabeth had a new assignment, a new service. You know what it was? To raise a godly young man. Wow, do you ever think about it that way? I mean, John the Baptist filled with the Spirit from his mother's womb, and then he comes out of the desert, ah, you know, preaching the gospel. Something happened in between. His mom and dad raised him. They raised him in their old age, which I think is a little bit harder even. You don't have the energy, especially to run around after a Spirit-filled baby, whatever that would be like. (laughs) Can you imagine if he was Spirit-filled like some of these people on television? Wow. Hallelujah. And, you know... (laughs) Serving God begins at home with your marriage and your family. That's why I said earlier, where am I going, Lord? Where are you? You're at home. Oh, oh, marriage, family. Even the quote from Malachi, interesting, to turn the hearts of fathers to their children. Parents need to awaken to their responsibilities at home and especially fathers. Regenerated lives lead to reprioritized lives. Reprioritized lives should lead to the redeeming of the home. It's no um, coincidence that the enemy is attacking homes and marriages because that's where the ministry needs to work. And then in verses 18 through 25, get or stay busy serving God and you will speak for Him. Now, here's a reminder you might want to write in the margin of your Bible, when angels talk, don't ask them any questions. And Zechariah said to the angel, oh, how shall I know this? For I am an old man, and my wife is well advanced in years. In other words, it's impossible for us to have children. Now, God often delighted in giving children to the childless. Zechariah, as a priest, undoubtedly knew the stories of Abraham and Sarah, Isaac and Rebekah, of Manoah and his wife, or of Hannah. But he didn't think himself and his wife were in the same category as those Bible characters. Hey, you know what? Do you think of yourself in the same category of Zacharias and Elizabeth? Probably not, because Gabriel hasn't appeared to you. 
But you know what? God is not a respecter of persons, and He loves you every bit as much as He loved them. And anything that's in the Word, it's for our learning and for our example, and He can do the things He did for them in our lives as well, not in the same way or for the same reasons, but there's nothing precluding Him from doing that in terms of a status of of how spiritual somebody is. And, And that's why all this talk about saints and calling people saints is so horrible, really, because it promotes this idea that there are people who are much more spiritual and who God, He really works in their lives, but He can't work in my life. Gabriel got a little testy, as I said earlier, and he answered and said to him, and I don't know how he said it, but I think it was pretty stiff, I am Gabriel. I stand in the presence of God. I was sent to speak to you and bring you these glad tidings. Wow. I mean, Zechariah, don't you get it? No one said anything for 400 years. Here I am. I'm excited. You know, I've been waiting for 400 years. And you want to know if it's true? What's the matter with you? And then he collects himself and he says, hey, I have an idea. God's given me some liberty here. So how about you're mute, not able to speak until the day these things take place because you did not believe my words, which will be fulfilled in their own time. And God, I'm sure, is thinking, oh, man, that free will thing is tough. But anyway... Now, listen, do you ever share God's grace and mercy with somebody only to have them reject it? Maybe, do you ever share the Lord with anybody, either to encourage them or to lead them to Christ? Or maybe take our, on Sunday morning sometimes, we'll have an altar call where we invite people to give their lives to Jesus Christ. And by not giving their life to the Lord, they're saying, uh, that, that's not true. I'm not a sinner. I don't need a Savior. Uh, I don't believe you. That's not inspired. And it's the same thing. It's this unbelief. It's this doubt. And so we deal with this all the time. Zechariah was rendered mute. The word and subsequent story indicate he was deaf and mute. And so he was a deaf mute when he came out. He was okay when he went in, and then he's a deaf mute when he comes out. And the people waited for Zechariah and marveled that he lingered so long in the temple. He might have lingled too, but I don't know if what that means. But when he came out, he could not speak to them, and they perceived that he had seen a vision in the temple, for he beckoned to them and remained speaking. This is comical. People who don't think that there's humor in the Bible, you have to, I'd like to see this portrayed on film. I mean, he comes in, people are like looking at their I don't know, sundials, I guess, and stuff, wondering what's going on with the priest, you know, and he comes out of the veil and he's like, (laughs) he can't talk or hear and he's all freaked out and he's beckoning. Now the priest who offered the incense was to go in, pray a short prayer, and then get out and pronounce the Lord's blessing upon the people waiting outside. The Lord bless thee and keep thee, all that from numbers. The delay was puzzling, then mind-boggling, and here he is, okay, we're ready for the blessing. And he's like, freaked out. Now, although Zacharias could not speak, he could still share. His life and that of his wife would speak with a great volume. Maybe you're not articulate, but your Christian witness can speak volumes to people as they observe your life on a daily basis. So it was as the days of his service were completed that he departed to his own house. One more detail given regarding Zacharias as a servant. I don't know how things worked in those days, but I note here that he finished out his week before going home. I don't know if they had workers' comp or whatever they did back then, 
for the priests, but he was handicapped when he came out of the temple. Do you understand that? He went in normal and he came out a deaf mute. I mean, that's a handicap. Uh, I might have wanted to go home and they might have wanted to send him home. I don't know if that was possible or not, but just in the scheme of things, he was handicapped and anxious, I'm sure, to share with his wife Elizabeth this news. But he nevertheless remained faithful to his commitment in the Lord's house. What a neat thing. You know, when you make a commitment to the Lord to serve the Lord, be faithful. Be faithful because it's your service as unto him. Now, after those days, his wife Elizabeth conceived, and she hid herself five months, saying, Thus the Lord has dealt with me in the days when he looked on me to take away my reproach among people. Zechariah had undoubtedly written out what had happened. His neighbors would have been terrifically curious, like modern-day paparazzi, you know, the photographers that follow famous people. This was big news in the Jewish community. I mean, I'm sure that Zacharias told them what the angel had said to him, and they're thinking, okay, well, we want to check this out. This is bigger than Michael Jackson in Santa Maria. <laughs> and, and people care about that, you know. And so people were hanging out around his house. And, and um, it says here, Elizabeth hid herself five months. She gave up an expectant mother's joyful announcement of pregnancy until it was obvious, until she was showing when, when you're trying to get pregnant and you want to be pregnant, can't, you, you want to tell people. Well, she got pregnant and she didn't tell anybody. Was it to avoid the crowds, the questions? Uh, was she thinking, hey, none of these people, care. you know, all they did was reproach me when I was barren. Now they want to act like they're my friend and give me a baby shower. I, I don't know what her motives were except that she was righteous and blameless. And so whatever reason she had was a good reason. What I can draw from it is this. There's always more than one way to speak for God. I mean, you might think, well, okay, you know, this is what's going on, and Zechariah had this vision, and so I want to tell people the minute I know I'm pregnant, I, I want people to get on board and see how God is answering this prayer and how faithful God is. And maybe that would have been valid. Uh, that, nothing wrong with that. But Elizabeth chose a different way, and I have to believe it's through prayer and seeking the Lord. And f- for what reason, I, I don't know, but she waited and hid and kept to herself until one day she opened the door and stepped out and turned sideways. <laughs> and, she, and, and said, hey, it's true. It's happening. Your life speaks for God. It may not seem to you that it's saying very much, And it may even be saying things that seem to contradict God's blessing. Maybe you're in a time like Zechariah and Elizabeth where you're barren, where you're you're righteous and blameless and serving God, but from an outward point of view, it seems barren, and people are even reproaching you and wondering what's going on in your life. But still, your life speaks. If you get busy and stay busy serving God, He speaks through you, in his time and for his glory. Remember, it starts at home with your family, even if you're a family of one, or even if you're a blended family, or a, mam- a family that's mixed with believers and unbelievers. Ask the Lord how you, in your situation, can say what Joshua said centuries ago, as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. Let's pray together. Father, we're so appreciative of this couple, Zacharias and Elizabeth, and 
Lord, I don't think I've ever seen this really as a, a study about family and, and service, but that's really what it is. It's one of the things it is. And Lord, we, most of us know the rest of this story. We know that Zacharias and Elizabeth did a great job raising John the Baptist. Jesus was proud of him, spoke tremendously about him. And uh, Lord, he fulfilled all the things that you had prophesied about him. And so we appreciate all the things that we've learned today and can still learn from Zacharias and Elizabeth. I pray for myself, Lord, and for all of my brothers and sisters here in this place that we would either get busy or stay busy serving you. There's no doubt much discouragement in our hearts and lives and a lot of apathy that creeps in. Seems like things never really change. Things don't happen. We hear of things happening here or there in some other place and some other church and some other life. We wonder what you're doing in our hearts and lives. Lord, teach us to be content to know you and to serve you every day. Lord, for some of us, nothing dramatic or fantastic maybe will ever happen in our life. But it is a dramatic, fantastic thing that we know you and love you and are called to serve you. May we learn to be content and stay ready, Lord. At the same time, we want to have a sense of expectation. Today, Lord, right now, or maybe tonight at our service or, or at some other time, Lord, that might be the time that you answer a lifelong question or prayer. We want to be ready for that, Lord. We want to just be there when you want us to be there. And so build in us, Lord, uh, a discipline and an expectancy. Keep that in balance as we look forward to the coming of your Son, Jesus Christ. It's in Jesus' name that we pray, and everyone who agreed said amen. Let's stand together and dismiss. Let's sing one final chorus. While we're singing or after we're done, if you would like prayer, some of our deacons will be down here in front. Just come down and uh, don't lingle too long, but uh, come on down and they'll pray for you. God bless you. is God There is nothing compares to His word For at just the right time He sent down His own Son as a man to the man of the earth To make right the wrongs To make right the wrongs of a fallen race To heal broken Sovereign grace and to set setters free from their sin. Gracious and priceless is He. Gracious and priceless is He who would die for His own enemies, who would become a curse for the cursed of as a sacrifice hung on a tree. Sins. To make right the wrongs, to make right the wrongs.
set sinners free. And to set sinners free from their sin. To set sinners free. And to set sinners free from their sin. Holy and righteous is God. There is nothing compares to His word. For at just the right time He sent down His own Son as a man to the man of the earth. Amen. God bless you.